0: All right, folks, this is Rabble Rousing Rich Bergeron. And it's the tornado, Tony Pettico. And
1: psychic, Tom Paget.
0: And we have a special guest tonight coming up in a few minutes. We've got uh, James Krause, UFC lightweight. And uh, he's going to be talking about a fight he's got coming up, but he's also uh, working with people as a trainer. So uh, lots of interesting stuff to talk about there. We had uh, some great fights we didn't get a chance to talk about last week. First uh, big boxing card I've watched in a long time, um, Joe Smith Jr. Getting the big uh, win there. It was, what, 15 to 1 odds, I'd read. Uh, somebody else said 25 to 1 odds. So if you bet on him, you made a lot of money.
2: Yeah, right.
3: And and, and part of the fact is, you know, um, you know when you saw him you know getting in the ring, big six. Physical guy, um, but you know, really hadn't fought much, you know, out of his Long Island backyard. Right. And they're saying, you know, Fonfara on paper should have beat him. You know, he should have. Now, and Fonfara sw- w- wobbled him early. That's the type of fight there that you know, if it goes three, four, five rounds. Well, um, you know, Fonfara likely would win. It would be a situation if they fought seven or eight, nine, ten times. Fonfara would probably win 80% of the time. You know, he's a better pedigree fighter. He's uh, more experienced. He's fought better opposition. But the fact of the matter is, Joe Smith is a strong guy. He's got dynamite in both hands. And he's got a puncher's chance. And you cannot make the mistake against him because if he hits you, he will knock you out. He's, you know got almost like that Ernie Shavers type of power. You know, one punch, and he can take you out. And, you know, that's what happened. Fun got a little bit, you know, crazy when he when he wobbled Smith, and he walked into a counter right hand, and it was funny. I was watching that fight with my dad, and, you know, we were talking about the time Fun fought Adonis Donna Stevenson, and I was like, man, Fun was taking some bombs in that fight. I mean, taking some bombs. And my dad was like, well, yeah, he's got a good chin. And it was like, as soon as he said it, boom. And <laughs> you know, down he goes
0: yeah, it was a uh, couple upsets actually, another guy who was undefeated, uh, Hugo Centeno Jr., got his butt kicked by an underdog as well and then um, there was a rematch of a previous fight, well the first car, first fight of the night um, drawing a blank on the names, but uh, Ro- Roche Warren and somebody else forget who the other guy was, but uh, that was pretty interesting uh, Roche had a very good style as far as, uh, you know, matching up with this dude and just totally dominated most of the fight and uh, just had a couple of difficult rounds where he sort of looked like he was taking it easy. But, that uh, yeah, it was a great fight to watch too. And uh, over this last weekend, we had uh, Bellator 157. That was the only big uh, mixed martial arts action going on, but we also had to consider, we got to go way back to uh, Rory McDonald's Stephen Thompson, we didn't even talk about that, because we didn't get to discuss that one last week, (coughs) but we'll get to that uh, a little bit later, I got the Bellator 157 results right in front of me, Uh, it was the return of Rampage, that was the big main event, Quentin Rampage Jackson against Satoshi Ishii. And rampage won by a split decision. I thought uh, it was pretty generous to give him all three rounds. I thought maybe one of them yeah.
1: you know out. it's always it's always sad when a fighter has to move up in weight as as they get older, um, because 225 is is just not a good weight to be at in the heavyweight division in, in MMA.
2: Right.
1: I mean, he's not big enough to dance with the, the big boys. He's slow. He says he has a thyroid problem. Uh, just a, just a, But I'll say this much. He knew how to play the mental game. Uh, did you see the card, Rich?
0: I saw the main event, but I didn't see the whole card.
1: Uh-huh. Well, yeah. you notice how he, he figured out early on that he was too slow to even catch the Japanese fire. It wasn't that fast. So he started playing the head games, you know, shrugging his shoulders, you know, moving his hands up, trying to get the crowd on his side. He is a master at that, but I just remember him from the old days, and those days are long gone.
0: Right. Yeah, he seemed to have a lot of trouble with Ishii, and Ishii's just kind of one of those um, basic type fighters. You know, he's got the basic skills in every discipline, but just doesn't excel at any one thing. And yeah, it just seemed like uh, he was outclassed there by a guy with a way more experience and a little bit better chin, I think, because uh, Satoshi was taking some shots. But, uh, you know, he kept coming forward. I give him credit. He yeah, but I, I, I
4: just kind of get the
1: feeling if, if this were a prime time Rampage, I don't think it would have went the distance. I mean, that's no disrespect to Rishi, but uh, Rampage is a step above, but... Again, those days or long. And, and gone, there's still like. a
0: little bit of talk about uh, Tito maybe may fighting Rampage eventually, but you know, we've we've heard that story before. <laughs> it was an yeah. Uh co main event, Michael Chandler handed uh Patricky Frieri uh, a nap with a knockout punch. Uh two into the contest there, so Quick work for Michael Chandler. Gets back on the winning track and trying to climb back up to the title. Uh, or was that the title fight? I think that was the title fight because uh, Will Brooks yes, disappeared. Yes, because
1: right, uh, Brooks vacated the belt when he went to the UFC.
0: Right. We also had uh, Lima Le McFarlane beat Rebecca Ruth by a rear naked choke submission. Maddie Mitrione coming out of UFC retirement. <laughs> Uh, to face Carl uh, Sumanutovna? I don't know how the heck you pronounce that one. That was uh, first round knockout three. and also did the uh, commentary for the kickboxing too, so I don't know whether they did that before or after the MMA fight.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> think that was, was afterwards funny. and I was surprised he wasn't still a little punchy. He had, he just has an exciting style, but uh, I know Rich you talk about de- de- defense a lot, right. and boy he had his hands awful low. Mm-hmm.
0: Huh. Yeah, it's, it's especially dangerous when heavyweights do that. I mean, I can understand, you know, when, when a lightweight guy does it who moves his head a lot. But heavyweights, I mean, they're generally plodding fighters. You know, there's not a lot of head movement, body movement. Just, most heavyweights just kind of come forward and hope to hit you with the hardest shot they got. <laughs> so, yeah, I,
1: I think it, we'll He think really showed his experience on the ground, though. I mean he, he he really kept his composure. I mean I thought he was gone. But he was able to reverse it, so good for him. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him again.
0: And there is really nothing going on for uh, MMA this weekend, unfortunately.
3: I don't think you're gonna see a whole lot of really anything this weekend.
0: Right. Fourth of July coming up on Monday. So Lots of uh, other stuff for people to do. But we do have a little bit of boxing going on. We'll get to that schedule in uh, a couple seconds here. But unfortunately we have uh, another hit and run death to talk about this week. Which is pretty crazy. Considering I feel like we just, we're just we talking about Jordan Parsons and his situation. Down there in Florida. Bellator fighter. Now uh, former uh, UFC fighter Ryan Jimmo was uh, involved in a hit-and-run north of the border up there in Canada. And uh, latest word is two people have been charged. they found the truck that was involved. Um, Happened June 26th. Anthony Getchell, 23, was charged with second-degree murder, criminal negligence, causing death, dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death, and failing to stop at the scene of an accident. Uh, Jordan Wagner, just 21 years old, was charged with accessory after the fact to murder. And 34 uh, year old Brian Jimmo, just crazy. It happened in a parking lot in the area of White Avenue and 101 Street in Edmonton.
1: Yeah, I heard it was uh, per- pretty late at night. So oh, I can it, only assume fight, it had actually. to be in a bar. And uh, maybe maybe when they got out in the parking lot, they came to their census, realized who, who was in the parking lot
0: with them. Uh, yeah, it said to moved back to Edmonton recently. He was only in, in the city for a couple days before he was killed. Brief ver- verbal argument happened right before the hit and run took place. So it happened outside of a bar, I guess. Uh, and a little bit of a jaw-jacking back and forth, and then these guys said, you know, screw you, I'll hit you with my car. But, I mean, talk about destroying your life. Both of these guys, 20-something years old kids, younger than the other guy who was involved in the hit-and-run in Florida. You know, obviously the guy who was driving is looking at life, in jail at least. I don't know if Canada has the death penalty. uh, 23 years old. Just barely allowed to drink. And now you're going to be behind bars for the rest of your life. Oh yeah. Not too smuck and fart. And very unfortunate for Jimmo and all his family and friends. It's another crazy situation though. Who would have thunk that close together you'd have two deaths in the same year. Same few months. It was just two months ago, less than two months ago, the other guy got popped. And that was another kid less than 30 years old, you know, just being stupid. No, nothing uh, on the stories that I've read about what these guys' records were, if they had previous stuff, but that guy had multiple suspended licenses. It's just ridiculous. UFC did not sell yet, according to what I've been reading. That's another uh, thing that's been going around the news lately. I really think that was a setup. You know, because you have to look at that and look at who's involved in the major company that's part of that bid. Is Dana White's agent? Is running the whole thing? And also involved with Ronda Rousey? And you got to wonder if they just did this whole bidding process specifically to put a huge value on it that they know is just going to increase the more people talk about the whole thing being for sale. So next time when they actually announce publicly that it's for sale, they'll have that $4.2 million to start at. That's the starting bid now. <laughs> so I think this this is right up to Fertitta's Alley. This is the kind of shit they pull all the time so i would and not be surprised and, and especially really the way it, way yeah. it came out on like some rinky dink website the first report you know all of a sudden some some little website's got this big scoop that the ufc is being sold they wanted it out there
2: sure
0: it's the only thing that makes sense to me anyway oh,
2: let's see.
0: Oh, we got to call Ryan, I mean uh, James, James Krause, UFC vet, uh, I believe I just looked at his record, he's 23-7, uh, let me just check it out here, just had a fight in February, he's got some impressive wins, a lot of tough competition over the years.
1: Yeah, I was looking at his record, and uh, when he, his first fight in the WEC was uh, Donald Cerrone. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of moved him up quick.
0: <laughs> All right. We're going to connect with. I love his nickname, The James Krause. <laughs> That's his nickname. James. Hello, The James Krause, right? Yes. All right. Well, this is Rabble Rouse and Rich Bergeron here with the Fight News Unlimited Combat Sports Show. We also have Psychic Tom on the line and Tony the Tornado. How's it going? Hey, what's up? So, uh, you got a fight coming up, James? You got anybody uh, in the works right now? Um,
4: nope. I don't have I don't have anything. I don't have anything on the books now. I just obviously had to pull out of that that, uh, the ross Pearson fight for family issues, but, uh, no, I don't have anything on the books as of right
0: now. Right. Uh, is there anybody you want to call out or you're hoping to get?
4: Yeah, you know, no, not really. I mean, I don't, I just like, I, you know, I like to, I would like to compete against guys that, uh, that like to go out and they like to be exciting. I'm not big on, uh, you know, I like to be exciting. I like—I want the fans to want to watch me, and uh, I think that's—I think that's important. So, uh, for me, I like to—I would like to fight. You know, the guys that that want to bring the that want to bring the fight to you, and they're not hard to find in there. You know, so that's that's important to me.
2: Right.
0: Now, who'd you say is the, the toughest guy you ever fought so far? You got a lot of big names on your record. <laughs> who's, the, who's the toughest out of them all?
4: The toughest that I've ever fought? Yeah. I would probably
0: say Cerrone would be the, in terms of, like, credentially, the, probably the toughest guy i fought. Yeah, that, that guy is a workhorse, I'll tell you. I don't know whether it's because he needs money or he just likes to fight, but <laughs> he'll get finished it's with a fight, both. and he'll be like, give me another one, now. <laughs> <laughs> just unbelievable, that guy. He always wants to fight. Uh, tell us a little bit yeah, about how you got into the sport of mixed martial arts. So it's kind
4: of a long story. I mean, I've, I've been at it for almost 10 years. Um, I started just after high school. I didn't have anything else going on, and a friend actually invited me to go uh, to go train, and I just showed up one day, and it was something I fell in love with. I really loved the fact that, that uh, you could a smaller guy could beat a bigger guy, and I liked the fact that it was weight classes, and I liked the fact that you didn't have to be an athlete to, to, to do good. You could use your brain. To you know, to get wins and, and, and do good stuff. So that was that was really appealing to me. That it was kind of like a chess match.
0: All right. And what's your ultimate goal with all of it? Where do you want to take this?
4: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I think mine's a little bit different um, than most people's. I think it's for me. It's it's get in, make money. Uh, you know, take that money and reinvest it into whatever, and then get out. You know, I think the, the sport of MMA and really just professional athletes in general is such a short, it's a short window, so you have to take advantage of it whenever, whenever it's in there. So, you know, for me, what does that look like? I mean, well, the better you're doing, the more money you're going to make, right? If I keep winning fights, you know, I double my my paycheck when I win. So, uh, I guess the answer is I want to take it as far as it'll go, and I want to make the most money I can.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the press recently about the, the UFC as far as uh, you know, fighters coming up on free agency, the Reebok deal. Uh, there's a lot of difficult things to think about now. And I'm, I'm actually hearing way more fighters come out and talk about the money issues and having to work so hard to make the money now. And it's amazing to me that the, that the powers that be in the UFC don't do anything to really make that statement that, you know, all right, we know you guys are hurting from the Reebok deal. So we're going to adopt this to make sure you get more bonus money or you know, higher pay. And you got a guy like uh, McGregor, he comes in with limited experience and he's the highest paid UFC guy. How did that happen?
4: <laughs> you know, well, he you knows how to sell McGregor. tickets really. I mean, that's the name of the game. That's the game is not, you know, the sooner people realize that this is no longer the fight game and this is a sports entertainment game, this, Sooner, people will start making bigger paychecks because that's that's really what we're at now. It's not it's right. not about fights anymore. It's about selling tickets, man, and that's just what it is. And the dude sells more tickets than just about anybody on the planet. So, I mean, that's why he's getting paid, you know. Right. And that's just the that's just the name of the game. It's it's all about return on investment for the UFC, and they feel like they're getting it with him, so they're going to keep paying them.
0: Yeah. yeah, unbelievable, you know. But uh, so. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, your experience. You've been in the UFC for a few years now, but you know you had uh, you had your debut way back. Uh, let me check your, a while back. So, um, how have you liked working with the company in general? Has it? Uh, so, um, you cut out a little bit. You say that again. How has it been working with the UFC as, as an organization in general?
4: Oh, yeah, I, I I like it. I mean, like I said, I I follow the money, and the UFC's paid paid me the best so far. And you know, they're really well organized. They're they're organized uh, within. Um, you know, I I fought for just about every major organization, and and whether you like them or not, whether people think they're being underpaid or whatever, they're they're the best they're the best organization to fight for right now. And that's just that's just the truth of it. I fought for them all. And they're the best to fight for right now, whether you think you're getting fair pay or, or not. Um, I've never made more, as much money as I have with, with them as anybody else. So, I mean, it's I think they're the best the best company to fight for.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes it boils down to your experience with them, you know, whether uh, it's your fighting style that they appreciate or, you know, just your name recognition. It's just like, to me, sometimes it's like certain people enjoy everything about the ufc and then certain people come out and they, they say you know i want to get out i can't stand it
2: well
4: i think i think people just for me i'm a businessman i'm an entrepreneur i own i own businesses and i own i, I run a gym and i if you go into the ufc with if you go into the ufc knowing what you're going to get it's it's a great deal it's, a, it's an awesome deal but if you go into the ufc thinking that you're anything other than uh a a puzzle piece to a business you're wrong it's just that's just what it is and that's the problem with some of these fighters is they they think that it's man this is a business and if product a is not getting the 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 roi the return on investment that the ufc is putting into them they got to make the cut man it's 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 just Two plus two equals four. It's a pretty basic thing, if you ask me. But some of these guys go in with this pre-misconception that, you know, like the UFC owes them something. They have some like some kind of weird sense of self-entitlement. Look, like nobody owes me anything, and then so it's my job to make sure that I'm exciting, that people want to watch me, and that I'm getting the UFC's money back on on their investment in me. That's my job.
0: Right. True. Very true and uh how about your uh, role models either inside or out the sport outside of the sport um, as you were coming up uh, who really helped you out
4: yeah i don't have any role models my, all my role models are like business people uh entrepreneurs i don't have any fighting role models man i try to pick and choose and steal from everybody Right. um i try to take bits and pieces of everybody's good stuff and i apply it to my game i take what works i keep it in there and i throw away the stuff that's not working well for me all my role models are are entrepreneurs and, and business people
0: cool and uh you also do a lot of training right working with guys that got fight fights coming up
4: uh yeah absolutely i'm a i'm a coach i'm a coach first uh you know i love i love the sport i love combat sports i'm a fan first before i'm a fighter. And, uh, you know, I love, I love the, the tactical aspect behind it. I love coaching others. I love helping others improve. And it's something that I'm very passionate about and uh, I'll continue to do even after I'm done fighting.
0: Awesome. How about, uh, do you have favorite fighters or fighters that you always have to watch when they're fighting?
4: Um, you know, I like matchups. I follow... I follow matchups, and I like people. You know, I like the I like people not for their skill, but for their, uh, I guess their their style. I, you know, I'm a I'm a McGregor fan not because the way he fights. I do like the way he fights, but I'm not a fan of his because of that. I'm a fan of his because he's changed the the MMA business game, um, and I can appreciate that no matter what he says. You know, I appreciate the fact that he has changed the way uh people look at the pay he has changed the the paradigm and the perception of what people get paid and he has raised the bar and i like that i appreciate that you know uh will it affect me at some point in my career probably not but he does pave the way for the next guy down the road you know uh it's kind of interesting i like things like
0: that It's kind of interesting to see, for me, to see when people get bigger than the UFC, which is what he kind of became for a little while. I don't know if he is right now, but for a little while, it looked like this guy is bigger than the UFC. I mean, he's like pushing them around, telling them what to do. So I think that helped in a lot of ways because then he turned around and realized, well, geez, I can do something with this. And and he he was very outspoken about those issues. Uh, And just the whole idea of, you know, making you go to press conferences and stuff while while you're supposed to be getting your head right and going in there and trying to uh, work on your skills. And you got to do this whole, you know, four city press tour or whatever the heck they were trying to get him to do. And he he said, no, you know, that's kind of a watershed moment for the sport. (laughs) This guy saying, no, I don't really want to do that. So, you know, pulling him out of the whole event because of it. It's kind of like, well, all right, you know, you're special, but you're not that special. It's kind of an interesting yeah, I think thing. they
4: they backed him in. Uh, they, he backed him into a wall where they had to make that move, regardless. I think that they were forced uh, to do that. You know, I, and I, if if it's my business, you know, he was like you said, Conor was getting bigger than the UFC, and I think he backed them into a point where they had no choice but to but to pull the plug on that and kind of, I guess, put him in check per se. I don't know, but you know, it's that I think that he backed them into a spot where they have no choice but to do that.
0: Right. All right. And now tell us a little bit about some of the guys you coach. Uh they got fights coming up or anything like that?
4: Uh yeah, so I coach uh Megan Anderson. She's a top ten in the Uh Tim Elliott, he's a flyweight uh, champion for Titan fighting, fighting. Uh Zach Cummings and I work with teammates. We work real close together. He's also in the UFC um, there's a bunch of other ones, Bellator guys, uh, Titan guys, all that good stuff. So, yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of high-level guys that, that I enjoy working with and, and uh, you know, formulating game plans and tactics and, and just picking, picking their, their brain on what, you know, what they like to do and getting inside their mind and, and seeing where their mindset is for, for competition. All right.
0: and what would you say is the most important thing that you do to get ready for your own fights?
4: um you know i think it's all correlated into one for me i think my mind and my body like my physical training are one and together the more i train the stronger my mind gets and i think that's the most important thing for anybody is to have a a strong mindset (laughs) whenever they go into to fight i think that's the most important thing i mean you see all the time guys with with that are mentally tough beat guys that are way technically better than them uh so, yeah, I think having,
0: the, having a strong mind is the most important part. Yeah, I've, I've had other discussions with some fighters who've talked about that. And, and I always look back to, I mean, I don't have a lot of, whole lot of fighting experience, but when I wrestled in high school and uh, I was on the JV team for the first year and we had JV state championships at our school. And I'll never forget just staring up at the lights before my final match that day and... Just being more relaxed than I've ever been before any of my boxing matches or any other wrestling match, and it was really mostly mental. I was just so cool, calm, and collected. I'm in my own building, you know. I go in there and I really never had quick pins. I was always, you know, underweight when I wrestled as varsity wrestler. So this guy was on my own weight, and I go out there and I pin him in like 20 seconds in the finals. And uh, I was just like, wow, you know, it really is important to sit there before a match and just release all the negative energy and just relax yourself. You know, it's yeah,
2: a very yeah. mental
0: game. You know, people don't realize that they think it's all physical, but you really have to think, you I have agree. to strategize, and you have to be relaxed when you go in there. You can't have too much shit going through your head or you're going to lose your mind. <laughs> trying, trying to throw it all out there and, and react in the moment. All right. Uh, Tony, Tom, you got any questions?
1: Uh, James, uh, got to ask this. Um, you know, the sports evolved a lot, and I'm sure you're a student going back to the early days. And, you know, we've seen initially jujitsu ruled, then it was wrestling's turn, then it went over to a striking blend, and then finally we've seen the hybrids coming along. And now it almost seems like we're getting into more fancy kicks. And I noticed uh, you uh, started off in a, with a karate background. Is that correct? Uh,
4: not really. Uh, kind of. I did karate when I was a kid, but it wasn't anything like serious or anything like that. I did like a year or two worse. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I do agree with you in the sense that if, if the, the sport is going through a phase, I believe the phase right now is traditional martial arts. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that myself and my team work on. Uh, on a regular basis as well yeah that's that's what i think because so often
1: uh, you know it's hard to get guys especially that are really good at the high levels of that you just don't see that in sparring a lot because uh i haven't trained i'm an old guy now i haven't trained since um uh, oh it's been about 10 years but back then we just our stand-up was just a, a combination of boxing and we tied and you've very yeah. seldom seen a lot of the stuff and, the, like, the, the hook kicks and, the, you know, all that fancy stuff, but it's just amazing how the sports evolved like that, and I guess you just have to stay stay current on all the new things because, you know, you got to go with what's working, you know, adapt or perish.
4: I agree, 100%. Uh, yep, I 100% agree.
1: And, you know, as a trainer, um, you've probably seen a lot of fitness crazes come, too. I mean, you see that in, in, in the fitness world in general, and in MMA, we've seen everything from you know, the standard road work and weightlifting and, you know, push-ups and everything, and then a lot of balance work and natural movement. And, um, you know, it just seems like there's so many things going on. Now, do you you try to blend a lot of different approaches,
4: or uh, what's your main uh, approach to conditioning? Uh, Yeah, so ours is more of a uh, resistance and agility-type training. Like, we don't really uh put a huge emphasis on lifting at all uh most of our stuff has come from like isolated you know like you're working one leg at a time or one arm at a time rather than Mm -hmm. both legs at a time uh but it's a lot of like resistance band work a lot of footwork uh stuff that i believe translates directly over to to fighting Mm
1: Yeah, and I remember uh, when when B.J. Penn hired uh, Marv Marinovich, and he was doing a lot of work with stability balls, and uh, it really seemed to help his cardio for a while. You know, B.J. was so talented, it was almost like he was too talented, you know? But yeah. what's that cliche? There's always that guy out there that doesn't know how talented you are, and, and he's going to carry you into the later rounds, but uh, it just seems like there's so many different approaches, and uh, I would agree with you. You know, you just have to keep week things and um go with it and use it as a lab see what works
4: yeah i I mean that's exactly like we used to do like a real heavy lift style and i just felt i felt slow and lethargic when i fought but so now we do like more of an agility and resistance and band work and i just feel so much faster and lighter on my feet and uh i guess i feel more springy i guess uh everything just feels faster now for me Mm
0: mm-hmm yeah, I always remember uh, Angelo Dundee's advice. He, he always said, uh, mm-hmm. "I don't, I don't have my fighters lift because it shortens their reach." <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's why you do reps rather than weight.
3: You know? Yep, it takes a snap out of the punches a lot too. All right.
0: All right, Tony, you got anything? Yeah, a couple minutes
3: left. That no, that's what I was, I was talking about. Your um, Angelo Dundee non-weightlifting. You know <laughs> that well, I'm a boxing guy, so I'm big into the, the punching aspect. So that's always a great question. Is like, you know, with the boxing game come becoming you know more prevalent in the world of mixed martial arts, you know, uh, just give us some ideas just on different things to help improve that. I mean, do you do a lot of just strictly boxing
4: work? Yeah, absolutely. That's like that's probably my base is more of a boxing. So the the stuff that I'm working on right now is, <clears throat> I I love uh, I love the if you if you take the sport of boxing and I love the my feet are planted and I'm gonna hit extremely hard, so my mm-hmm. philosophy is we try to we try to incorporate we try to incorporate a traditional martial arts uh, footwork style, uh, a lot of stance switches, a lot of like sideways stepping. Uh, so basically, I guess, long story short, we're trying to transition from the traditional martial arts style into the uh, the boxing footwork so if we can make it our movement 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 sideways forward backwards sideways switch stance stop for a split second with our feet planted, hit hard and then we go back to our stance switches right so we want to get we want to get the best of both worlds we're moving constantly but then when we do stop we're powerful and then we're back to moving again
0: yeah see i don't understand sometimes when when joe rogan is like oh he just switched stances I just started from a boxing background doing martial arts training and mixed martial arts stuff. And when I go to kick, I always want to switch stances after I kick somebody or, or target. It's, it seems like there should be way more of that in MMA. And you don't see it in fights to the point where they're actually pointing it out when you do see it.
4: Yeah, I like all my, all my, I won't say all my guys, a lot of my guys, we, I mean, we're constantly switching stances we're stepping through on right on backside stuff all the time so like when we throw a right hand we'll step through to softball look for high kicks body kicks uh, uh, we like to attack the open stance so we like to make it lefty versus righty or righty versus lefty so that's kind of like mm-hmm. we attack because that's the dangerous stuff you know is that is that that open horseshoe stance where the head kick is open the body kick is open mm-hmm. we really like to exploit that so we'll close we close the stance right and then we step through and on the transition we open the stance and then we try to attack
2: and then close it again Awesome. Okay. All right,
4: yeah, because like I know in in
3: the boxing world, I mean, you you have a a, a handful of guys that will fight out of both stances, um, and a lot of those guys are very unorthodox. You don't see it often. You either get a fighter that's right-handed or a conventional um, or a conventional fighter or a southpaw, and the guys that do it, um, and even when I train people, I always talk about. them like. Uh, I don't encourage it in a boxing, you know, uh, format. I'm always a traditional guy with your power hand back. Because I said, you know, a, when a pitcher's throwing a baseball, he's got his, you know, his dominant foot back, and he's driving that weight, you know, and twisting that hip. I said, uh, yeah. same thing with a quarterback throwing a football. Um, I said, why in a boxing world? I had one guy I trained for a while, and he insisted on going southpaw, and I said why don't I just chop your left arm off because you're getting no power out of that hand at all. If I can teach you a lead jab and maybe how to turn a left hook combined with your natural right hand out of a right-handed stance, I can give you two hands instead of one. Uh, You do have certain fighters that are ambidextrous and they do have that ability or some guys, you know, prefer with their lead hand. I just, it's, it's not me. Um, yeah. Now, I had a young lady training tonight, literally 30 minutes before we got you on the show she left. And as I was trying to teach her how to set her feet because she was picking her back foot up a little bit. And I said, no, when you're driving that right hand, don't get on your tippy toe like a ballerina said you're getting no power. I said, you drive it like you're grinding that cigarette out underneath your foot. And I said, you feel that power in there. And I said, when you hit somebody. You know, when a boxing match or even an MMA match, uh, and you hit somebody with a shot, I said, it feels like a lightning bolt goes through your body. It actually numbs your toes. I said, that's a great feeling.
4: Yeah, so, like, my philosophy behind it is I absolutely agree. Like, whenever I'm starting out, like, I want my guys to be in their dominant. Like, you need the back foot, you know, the the dominant foot back for the power aspect. So, this is my philosophy behind it is you use the, the philosophy with uh, – The like let's say a major league baseball pitcher let's say his fastball is you know he's a right handed he's a right-handed guy his fastball obviously is going to come from that right right foot back right hand back right but what if i told you Mm -hmm. if he had a nasty slider if he switched stances if his slider was better from another stance and that's kind of the philosophy that i carry is when we open that stance up i feel like the the we basically, when we open the stance up, you don't have to beat that shoulder anymore, especially with the kicks. That shoulder's not in your way anymore, right? So imagine a, a right. righty versus lefty or lefty versus righty. You don't have to beat that shoulder anymore. So if we can if we can open that gap for a split second, take advantage of that, and then close it back out, you know, we, we open that up to the danger zone. And as long as we are in control of the danger zone, I don't have a problem with it. So that's kind of my philosophy is, like, let's switch stances so throw the good stuff, and then let's close it right back and get right back to dominant. So whenever we're working long, I'm staying off the jab, I want to stay right-handed, you know, but whenever I want to look for a fight-ending finish, you know, move or whatever, I-, I like to switch. I want to open it up, and I look for anything backside, you know, uh, backside kick to the body, backside head kick, uh, straight two down the pipe, because it's a different look. So for me, I'm two different fighters. Whenever I'm right-handed, I like to stay behind the jab. I don't throw the two as much. I stay behind that, but whenever I go southpaw, I'm looking uh, all backside stuff, so straight twos, high head kicks, body kicks, low inside kicks, knees. I'm looking to, to end the fight, whereas if I'm right-handed, I look to stay behind the jab, stay nice and technical, nice and laid back, picking apart. But when I switch, I'm looking to finish.
0: Awesome. Uh, and one question I always like to ask everybody we get on the show, what do you uh, enjoy most about fighting?
4: Uh, you, you know, this is uh, actually a great question. I enjoy most about fighting is it's there's never an end. Uh, there's the evolution is in, uh, infinite. I mean, it's it, you can never be the best. There's always somebody. There's always somebody working up, and you don't have to be the best athlete. You don't have to be the fastest, the strongest, uh, the toughest, the most, you know, athletic or whatever. You don't have to be the best at anything to be the best if that makes sense right if yeah. i'm if i'm above average at everything that makes me a great fighter
0: right good point uh now how about anybody you want to thank or give a shout out to before we let you go
4: no i appreciate you guys for having me though thank you
0: awesome and uh how do yeah, people find you. you how do people find you out there on cyberspace you got facebook Twitter. yeah I,
4: everything all the good stuff facebook instagram twitter backslash uh, the james Krause.
0: awesome I love that too. That's your nickname, the James Kraus. Yeah, yeah. You don't get to, you don't get to pick him. Yeah, that's great. All
4: right. You don't get to pick him.
0: <laughs> All right, James. Uh, it's been great, and uh, thanks for a great interview. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you. And best of luck, even though I know you won't need it. Uh,
4: thanks, guys. I appreciate
0: it. You, too. Have a good one. All right. All right. So there he is, James Kraus. Nice. Good story there.
1: Boy, yeah. he, he's definitely in a stacked division.
0: Right.
2: So
1: that uh, light that lightweight division. That's one thing I meant to get on that with him, but uh, man, I mean that's a. He's just he's got a big hill to climb, but hey, what's the old cliche? One fight at a time.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know he's one of, he's one of those guys who has a great relationship with the UFC. I kind of kind of uh, thought we might get a little controversy whipped up and. Uh, he might start agreeing with me, but it was interesting to hear him. Uh, he's got the o- other perspective. He's, he's well taken care of, and he appreciates uh, the hand that feeds him. So, you know, he looks at it from a purely business perspective in a lot of ways, too. So it makes sense. But he's right dead on by talking about, you know, you got to sell tickets and you have to put on a performance. I mean, that's always been kind of the thing I love and hate about the way the UFC treats their fighters, you know. Because, uh, you know, sometimes it's not possible to put on a performance if you're well matched. You know, you really got to think about strategy. And if you really want to get that win and double your pay, like he says, you, know, you, you can't put on a show. So I agree and disagree with some of the stuff he was talking about. But definitely a, a new and interesting perspective for us. Because usually when we start, you know, hey, what about this and what about that? These guys open up a little bit. you are saying, nope, they take care of me. So <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Good stuff. And I was actually working on um, trying to get uh, Sean O'Connell from this uh, UFC Fight Night uh, 89. Still might be possible in the works. And uh, I really wanted to talk about that fight last week. We didn't get a shot to uh, to discuss it. But uh, this is a match you would want to watch, Tony, I'm sure. Because it was pretty okay. much all on two feet, you know. Never went to the ground for more than a couple seconds. <laughs> And talk about Rock'em Sock'em Robots. These guys beat the ever-living shit out of each other for three straight rounds. And, and normally I wouldn't I wouldn't appreciate guys stopping in the middle of a match to high-five each other. <laughs> but <laughs> these guys did it twice. And the second time, as soon as the high-five finished, both of them threw a punch at the other guy. <laughs> and, uh, and Sean landed his pretty hard. But this guy, bossy, I mean, he's our, uh, he was in his home... Uh, home arena you know it's just uh he's <clears throat> up there in canada he's from the area so he goes in there and uh has a horrible first round you think he's gonna get knocked out comes back and i thought sean o'connell almost did enough to win the third round but it was just he was taking so much punishment and he was coming forward so slowly like a zombie that you know, it was kind of hard to give him that round. But and he was landing shots. As, as as slow and lethargic as he looked, he was landing great sh- shots through the whole fight. Uh, but uh, second and third rounds, I think they gave them all to uh, Bossy. So uh, he didn't get the win. I mean, uh, Sean didn't get the win. But I, I mean, more than heart, just uh, the chin, the technique. I mean, he had everything going for him in that fight. I mean, just... You know, just had one of those moments where he ran into a wall physically. He just didn't have that extra oomph to knock the guy out, but uh, he could have very well won that fight. And, uh, you know, talk about putting on a show. He got the fight of the night, got that bonus. Yeah, that
1: that bossy's entertaining.
0: Yeah. Steven Thompson versus Rory McDonald. Now, that was more of a technical fight. Uh, as uh, Tom was talking about the previous show, we had uh, Stephen's uh, karate situation. Uh, you know what Rory was going to do against that. We were kind of discussing how that was going to work, and uh, Rory brought in his own karate guy to try to mimic Stephen, but it really kind of turned the corner in the third, and I mean the fourth and fifth rounds. Where, you know, it was mostly technical, they were kind of pot-shotting each other through the first three, and then the fourth, Steven just opened up, and the fifth, he just put the exclamation point on it with some really vicious shots to the head. And one thing that really pissed me off about this fight is for the, the amount of time that Rory's been in the UFC and the situation he's in here where this could very well be his last UFC fight. And yeah, I understand you're working with a karate guy. You're going to change up your, your stance and, and your situation a little bit. But I mean, he was fighting the whole time with his hands out to the side of his head as a defensive technique. And how is that blocking anything to your face? <laughs> I'm watching this guy, and I'm like, he's in a main event of a UFC fight, and he doesn't know how to even block shots to his face. And, you know, everybody's seen John Jones put the fingers out there and, you know, jab with his fingers out. He's he's been warned a bunch of times for it, too, but that is a defensive technique. Rory's just sticking his hand out there and leaving it there, as well as keeping his hands by the side of his face. So Stephen was just, you know, picking his shots, basically, and just nailing him. And uh, Stephen didn't get hit very much in the face at all. And it really, it was only when he was advancing that he got hit much. And the other gripe I had about Rory's game was he didn't throw one leg kick in the whole fight that I noticed. I mean, if he did, it wasn't hard. And uh, how did you have that fight scored, Rich? I, d- I don't score fights usually, but I definitely oh, okay. thought Rory lost. I mean.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I I think I think the, I think the uh, definitely the right guy won, but uh, I didn't think it was no fifty or forty-five.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I don't think he, he wanted report
1: Yeah, you go back and look at it. You could even make a case for those first two rounds going either way. But, um, you know, this fight has so many fascinating questions. And uh, once again, congratulations on your breakdown. I mean, you really (laughs) delved into it very deep. I did get to watch it twice. (laughs) it, 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 it It just begs that question, though. Is, is Roy kind of, I mean, after some of the, that last fight with Lawler, you wonder how much that took out of him. Man. Now, I know he's only 26, but all of us know, you don't measure a fighter's age by the, by the calendar.
2: Man, it's not that's... a
1: chronological situation. It's it, you, know, you can see old guys in their 20s. Or has uh, Thompson ushered in a new era? Or, with your thesis, maybe Thompson's just um, a very special situation. And maybe it's not going to be a whole new uh, phase of uh, point karate.
0: Right. So, um... Well, yeah, like I I look at his style, and it's completely different than Lyoto Moshida, who really made the the move towards karate look good, uh, you know, because he's dominant karate. But Steven, I mean, he's a very technical guy. He's a very technical puncher and kicker. And he really likes to throw dynamic kicks, like the side kick high, a lot of people don't throw. He... he Connected kind of glanced Rory with a with a kick late in the third round. I forget what it was whether it was a wheel kick or what but I that's the thing with the the whole sport of MMA is moving towards kicks nowadays where People are starting to figure out. Well, hey, you know my leg is a lot longer than my fucking arm So, so maybe I should use it more uh, For range, you know for for power everything I mean, look at Ronda Rousey got knocked out with a head kick uh, some guy just a couple weeks ago, before this fight, got knocked out of, what well, was a TKO, with a, a spinning back kick to the stomach. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's not only just the kicks, but you know, guys willing to do things differently. Like, John Jones throws a lot of spinning elbows and oblique kicks. You, know, you have to do something different that nobody else is doing or very few people are doing. And you know, being a dominant kicker pays its dividends. Uh, Especially if you can handle the takedown defense, which, I mean, I've talked about that for years. The game itself has been moving towards more of a stand-up contest, especially because of the situation with the UFC where you really have to put on a show to make money. You know, these guys feel like they have to have stand-up wars, and, you know, as soon as it goes to the ground, fans don't boo as much anymore, but it's still kind of boring compared to what they can do on their feet. And if you've got a good kick, and all it takes is one good head kick, and that guy's pretty much out. It's not like a good punch. good punch a guy can take usually, but one good head kick placed in the right place, and that guy is out cold. So I think you're going to see a lot more guys like Stephen Thompson, but I still don't like how he keeps his hands down by his waist. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: that gets back to controlling the range, though. Right. I mean, really, there's nothing wrong with keeping your hands down if you're
0: three or four feet away <laughs> right yeah it's it's a little bit uh, like uh, Dominic Cruz except I think Dominic uses way more head movement and takes a little bit more punishment to give but uh you know that's just because he engages more Stephen just doesn't engage unless he absolutely has to and then when he once he started seeing Rory turn the corner and start to really get frustrated, that's when he really started wading in and throwing more shots. But He's very smart like that. I mean, it's not just skill with him. He seems to think about everything that he does. And of course, we had uh, Donald Cerrone beat uh, Patrick C- Cote, and uh, that was one I thought I, I saw coming, but it was just uh, just because of uh, Cerrone's just all around. Skill. He just he just was outclassed. Yeah, by, nah, I, I
1: I definitely think he's found a new home at 170. I mean, he did not look like he had a lot of excess weight on his body at all.
2: Man, yeah, and I just I wonder how
1: much how much, much now, he was drinking going to 155 to 150. though. I mean, if his if he has no extra weight at 170, it must have been killing him.
0: Yeah. And uh, Patrick, uh, he was a game fighter for a little while there, but uh, just got taken down to the ground and pounded right the heck out.
3: Well, this
1: is, this is another one that's uh, got a lot of miles on that odometer.
0: I mean, you remember, he's been
1: around uh, going way back. I mean, I think around like 2003, 2004, something. So he's um maybe it's um, time to look at him in a little different light.
0: We had uh, Olivier Aubin Mercier beat Thibault Gauti by a nice rear naked choke submission. That was an interesting fight going into the third round. Uh, but uh, one of my favorite fighters Joanne Calderwood got a nice win over Valerie Letourneau and that one was kind of a little bit controversial because uh, Valerie stopped a couple times she had to like readjust her wardrobe there and then uh, Calderwood ended up uh, getting her with something I figured whether it was a kick or a punch and she turned right the heck around as for the second time in the fight, and the ref waited until she was laid the heck out to stop the fight. I mean, if you're quitting and turning around like that, I'm calling the fight. If I'm a ref, you know, there was actually yeah. six or seven shots. Uh, she took a knee to the side before that, and she wasn't responding at all. And the ref literally waited till she was on the canvas to stop the fight. Uh, she, she just had a, a real tough time. She's a very basic fighter, too. you know? She doesn't have much dynamic to her game. She's just scrappy. So uh, Calderwood took her out uh, 2.51. Nine seconds left in the third round. No. Two minutes and nine seconds, I should say. <laughs> or one minute and nine seconds. Two minutes. I don't know. All right. Uh, we also had Jason Sago beat Leandro Silva by split decision. Misha Sirkunov beat Eon. Akutalaba by Arm Triangle. Uh, Christoph Jotko beat Camden McCrory by knockout. That one was vicious. First round knockout, 59 seconds in. Uh, Joe Soto. That uh, probably was my favorite fight of this whole card. I, this is where I think we need to make the case again for having bonuses for the, the preliminaries. Joe Soto versus Chris Beal. Chris Beal goes in there. He's kicking Joe Soto All over the cage. First, second, third round. Just destroying this guy. And, you know, he's bleeding all over the place. Starting to slow down. And Joe just ends up on the ground. Gets the guy's back. Rear naked choke. It's over. So, for getting his ass kicked the whole fight and being alert for one minute of it, (laughs) he got the win. (laughs) Rear naked choke. 3.39 into the third. And then we had uh, Elias Theodoro beat Sam Alvey, another former guest of ours, by unanimous decision. He's, he's had a rough go of it the last couple fights, Sam. Uh, Randa Marcos, one of the girls from The Ultimate Fighter, beat uh, Jocelyn Jones Liebarger by unanimous decision. And a couple more fights Colby Covington beat Jonathan Muinier by Rear Naked Choke in the third. And Ali Bogotanov beat Gian Herrera by unanimous decision. So then, uh, really, all we got left is boxing. The boxing for this weekend.
3: Well, we had a good one last week, and I didn't get to see it, but um, um, from several reports, potential fight of the year. One of my friends at work said it was the best fight he's seen in the last three years. And that was two of our former guests, Keith Thurman and Sean Porter. Um, Very competitive fight. Uh, Thurman won on all three cards, 115-113. Some people said they wouldn't complain with a draw. I heard a few people thinking that they thought Porter won. But the consensus that I heard was that the um, decision was right. Yeah, I, I would
1: agree with the decision. But I'll tell you what, a lot of people booed. I mean, uh, and I'm wondering, uh, if, <laughs> were they booing because they, we didn't have 15 rounds? I, I mean, both guys really didn't leave anything in there. And when the decision was announced, there was a fair share of boos, hmm. which I was kind of scratching my head because neither guy held back. Yeah, I, I think the difference, and it was very close. Um, Porter just Porter's whole strategy was very obvious, just go in and make it a ball. He is like a completely different fighter. From his early days, when he first turned pro and was on the Friday Night Fights, he he was still doing the pogo a lot. And Teddy Atlas called him out on that. He said, he's got to settle down with his punches. He's not in the amateurs anymore. And uh, to Sean's credit, he took his advice. And, um, you know, he's really a, a whole different fighter. But I think the difference here was Thurman was just a little sharper with his punches. And remember the old cliche, Thurman was the champ. And you have to make it decisive. right? But, you the uh, But, but in this case, uh, I don't think Porter's stock went down um, at all. So um, it's going to be an interesting, um, interesting rematch down the road. I don't think we'll see it immediately, but I think both guys really, um, really did a great job.
0: Well, looking at the schedule here too, we got some interesting matchups coming up. Uh, we also got to talk about uh, Tyson Fury. All of a sudden, out of the fight with uh, Vladimir Klitschko. And not only that, but there's a report that they found traces of nandrolone in one of his pre-fight tests. He's claiming uh, he's got an ankle injury. That's why he's got to pull out. But there's some uh, newspaper reports coming out of uh, Britain that uh, he had some trace amounts of nandrolone in his, uh, in his sample. So uh, nothing and I, I also hear that.
1: he has some tra- trace amounts of... Um... Jägermeister, I guess he was at a big Jager, <laughs> Jägermeister party on the beach. You know what a wild man he is. Yeah, wow! Funny. So see see how this uh, ends up. <laughs> yeah, and, and they set a uh, have they set a date
0: for it. Uh, or is the
1: definitely. You know,
0: not that I know of. But another uh, heavyweight got a big win over the weekend. Uh, Anthony Joshua beat uh, Dominic Brazil, knocked him right out. I think it was the seventh round. So took him to D. And I'll road. tell you,
3: Dominic Brazil, tough kid. You know he's got heart, but um, you know, talent wise, I just don't think he. I didn't expect him to compete with um, Anthony Joshua.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Well, they, they and did mention it, it, that it uh, happened
3: pretty much as I expected.
0: They did mention uh, in the reports that I read that Anthony did seem kind of fresh and green even though he was, you know, landing great shots. But he's he is, like I've been saying, the more of a basic one-two type of puncher. And that works for him because he's so athletic and he's just like uh, one of the Klitschko brothers. He's very tall, rangy, and uh, knows how to use his jab. So a lot of people were saying that's what won the fight for him is just that it just kept coming. And uh, Brazil just couldn't take it. But, you know, they also said that he really needs to do some more dynamic stuff in his game to uh better prepare for the next level of fighter you know because brazil is a tough guy but he's not world-class championship material yeah. He's kind of like uh, more of a journeyman type and just hasn't had a lot of success in the ring but uh you know joshua just has uh, good movement and the right amount of uh, patience I guess to to wait for that knockout shot (laughs) Uh, another UK guy, uh, UK fight here all UK, George Groves beat uh, Martin Murray as well and of course BoxRec doesn't list the the records knockouts but we don't even know how that one ended on the main page yet but going to uh, coming schedule, here's an interesting one, we're going to start this week off with the mismatch of the week coming from New Zealand on Friday, tomorrow night Gunnar Jackson coming in at 24-7-3 and three at middleweight. He's going to fight a guy named Mose Almatagi Jr. His record is three wins, one loss, and two draws. And it's for a title. The New Zealand Professional Boxing Association middleweight title. 24 wins against three wins. It's a tough match. At least the guy doesn't have a losing record, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, whenever you uh, preface it with that tone of voice you have, <laughs> I was thinking yeah. it's going to be like, uh, you know, six wins, uh, hundred and thirty two cutie feet, 130 <laughs> by knockout, you know. And, and I was going to call you out say, Rich, you need a life. Where do you find this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you do? You just, you have a penchant for this, you know, yeah. but... Uh,
0: Here's an interesting oh. one in uh, Bahia, Brazil. This is the only fight on the card. Uh, cruiserweights. Reginaldo Andrade has a record of 41-5, and 5, fighting a guy named Luciano Torres, who's 54-12. and 12. How about that? 96 wins between the two of them. 17 losses. <laughs> tough guys there. Main events. Gotta be tough guys. Uh, there's an interesting one in the Czech Republic for the vacant Universal Boxing Organization Intercontinental featherweight title. Martin Parlagi, 19 and 2, fighting Francis Majusho, who's 41, 15 and 3. A big fight this week. Uh, actually, I don't even know if there is a big fight. Well, yeah. Well, this is saying July 11th, Kovalev's fighting. That's next week. Yeah, there really isn't much for big fights. A lot of the big matchups are going on tonight.
3: Well, I, before I forget, we've got to give a shout out to what day it is. Do you know what today is? What is today? Happy 50th birthday, Iron Mike Tyson.
0: Oh, is that why they got all the Tyson fights on ESPN Classic? <laughs>
3: yeah. It, um, turned 50 today. Mike Tyson turned fifty. That's awesome. God damn, that makes me feel old.
0: who would have thought that,
3: huh? <laughs> you know, because I mean I grew up obviously watching Iron Mike and, you know, he was, you know, one of the guys that really got me interested in, you know, re interested in watching boxing. And, you know, back even when he was champ of the world and then especially when he started going on his um, you know, downward style after, you know, Kevin Rooney got fired and you know, Customato had died, then for then um you know, Jimmy Jacobs died and he split with Bill Caton and he fired Kevin Rooney and it was just always a mess and he's getting in fights with Mitch Green on the street and <laughs> you know, it was just it's a constant mess. It was like is this guy gonna make it to C twenty five?
2: Right.
3: You know? So you going to make it to C twenty five or twenty six. And it's like would he ever make it to C thirty? Probably not. And then it's like, well, he makes it to 30, and, you know, it's like, you know, he's still having issues here and there, because that was, like, 96. He had gotten out of prison, and then he, you know, had the ear-biting incident, and then he had a road rage incident here and there, and then it's like, would Mike Tyson ever make it to 40? (laughs) No way. And then it's like, you know, he got to 40, and then his career was pretty much done, you know, back in 2005. He was around 39 years old. Um, And it was like, Oh, he made it to 40, and he's, you know, not fighting anymore. He's doing some movies here and there, and it's like, I think he's going to be all right. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you figure either overdose or... Some people
3: mature later than
0: others. Either an overdose you'd think would have got him, or, you know, he would have gotten some kind of altercation and somebody pulled a gun on him. (laughs) I would
3: would call it an altercation, you know, um... Does like a car accident, maybe speeding, drunk driving, um, an altercation, somebody shooting them, um, you know, running out with the wrong woman, and somebody trying to get revenge on them. Right. Um, something happened in prison. You know, he had a couple stints in there. Yeah. You know, you never know. Um, so yeah, well, you know, a lot of things, but he defied the odds. He yeah. um, made it to fifty.
0: Yeah, he was in the news recently, too, because uh, I guess he had said or somebody thought he was going to be at the uh, Republican convention there. So he had yeah. to come out and deny that he was going to be there. <laughs> I guess he was getting too much flack. But he, he has said he supports Trump, so it was kind of interesting. He did. He's, he's saying he's well, yeah, he fought, he
3: fought at the man's casino and he made a lot of money. All right.
0: Uh, another former guest of ours is fighting in Jamaica on Saturday. Marcus mm. Chop Chop Corley, keeping busy. I think a couple weeks ago when we had our last show, we were talking about a fight he had. Uh, he is 46 27 and 1. Talk about experience. He is fighting Richard Holmes, who is 11 and 5 at Welterweight down there in Jamaica. And then all the other fights worth talking about this week are guess where, Tony? Oh, Pens- guess where? Pennsylvania. Really? Yep. Uh, ESPN has a card on uh, Saturday at Santander Arena in Redding. Put on your boy Okay, uh, your I boy, have from me. Marshall Kaufman is uh, coordinating with that. He is uh, putting on a show here with Jamel Herring, undefeated, fifteen and zero at lightweight, versus Dennis Shafikov as the main event. Shafikov is thirty six two and one. And we got uh, middleweights undefeated again, 15 and 0. Patrick Szymanski fighting Wilkie Campfort, who is 21 and 2. Uh, and a guy from New England, I think uh, Frank Alba. He's 18, 2 and 2, fighting Jonathan Perez. Yep, yeah,
3: and I saw him at the Valley Forge Casino a couple of years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. Frankie is uh, got a tough test here. He's fighting here at super featherweight. Guy's got 35 wins, 14 losses. Looks like he has lost his last three, though. And uh, Kermit is back in the ring. Kermit Centrone, 36-5-2 and at Super Welterweight. I believe he just signed with uh, Marshall, too, Marshall Kaufman. Boy,
1: remember he's there. been around forever. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, really. Kermit. I remember I, seeing I him wonder, I, in, like
3: 1998.
1: Yeah, I wonder if money has anything to do with this uh, belated comeback. It's belated ill-advised Sorry. comeback.
0: Definitely possible. He's fighting a guy here, Carlos Garcia, who's got uh, less than 500 record, of course, 10, 15, and 1. So, obviously, a uh, tune-up, tune-in, tune-back-in fight, basically, for him.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And then the other one is in Tony's favorite city in all of Pennsylvania. And I'm saying that sarcastically so he actually gets it. <laughs> what, what city would that be, Tony? Pittsburgh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the good Teamsters Hall in Pittsburgh, Guillermo Jones at heavyweight. His record is 40 wins, 3 losses, 2 draws, fighting Garrett Wilson, who's 16 Yeah,
3: Yeah, I, I heard about that. I just found out about that today. Guillermo Jones, former world champion, and if I'm not mistaken, he won his first title at, like, 154. <laughs> and then, like, couple years later, he was up at cruiserweight as a world champion. And then, of course, Garrett Wilson, a very good friend of mine, um, but, I, I just found out about that fight today. So, another great opportunity for Gary, you know? Nice.
0: And uh, Galen Brown, another heavyweight with a decent record, 44-33. Uh, 44 wins, 33 losses, one draw. He is fighting undefeated heavyweight Trevor Bryan, who is 16-0. And then we go down to uh, the super lightweights for the next one. Uh, Amir Imam, eighteen and one, fighting Wilfredo Acuna, who is sixteen and nineteen. That's pretty much it for the big stuff. I think we covered just about everything else. Let me just make sure I don't have any, uh, I don't have any pending stuff in the uh, story section I save every week of my notes. Well, yeah, we got a lot to uh, look forward to the the week after this weekend. Some better fights coming up. As I mentioned, uh, Sergey Kovalev has a fight coming up July 11th against uh, Isaac Chalemba. So that's a big one. Uh, Andre Ward finally got an opponent, too. I didn't mention that. I don't have the guy's name right in front of me, but uh, nobody that you might recognize, I don't think.
2: <laughs>
1: I'm shocked. I'm yeah. shocked.
2: Guy
0: has no, that's
1: uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad because uh, this has to happen this fall, right? With with him and Kovalov. Yeah, we'll see. All right, Tony. Tony, what is your what is your gut feeling now? I know you haven't put the technical analysis into it, but uh, just uh, off the top of your head, how do you feel about that? You think Ward is uh, back to anywhere near his peak?
3: Well, you know, you really only had one fight to. Down, um, but he looked great. You know, he looked flawless against a a very physical, very strong fighter, a dangerous fighter, and, you know, he made them look bad. Um, That's what Andre Ward does. Andre Ward is a hard guy to statistically break down and stylistically break down because he's like a chameleon, and that's his best asset. He is a chameleon. He can go out there and, you know, he kind of does what Floyd Mayweather has a tendency to do, and that's adapt and adjust. He is a cerebral fighter. He's a very intelligent fighter. So he's the guy that, you know, if he's in there and the guy's putting a lot of pressure on him, you know, he'll maybe um, focus on using his jab and lateral movement and force his opponent, um, you know, off balance and keep the guy from, you know, making uh, first rushes. If he's fighting a guy that's trying to uh, fight more of a, um, a lateral movement and defensive type of style, then he becomes more aggressive. He brings the fight to him. He, can, he obviously can box very well. You know, he has underrated power. He hits the body better than people give him credit for. The only... That we have the question on him is his chin because we've never seen it tested. So now you run into a situation here that, you know, you get a guy in Kovalev that tests chins. I mean, he knocked down granite jawed Bernard Hopkins with one punch and he put Hopkins on the defensive immediately. Um, he's knocked out guys like Nathan, Nathan Cleverly. I mean, he just shredded Jean Pascal twice. Uh, I think he would do the same thing with Donna Stevenson. Right now, in that division, Andre Ward is the man that could beat Kovalev. You know, I I don't see, um, you know, Stevenson beating him. I don't see Tony Ballou beating him. Um, You know, obviously, John Pascal got destroyed. Um, I think the only guy you would really see with a legitimate chance of beating Kovalev Andre
1: Ward? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree.
2: <clears throat> but will will they really, really,
1: right now in my right. mind, it's 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 just another one of those coin tossers.
0: Yeah. Got to get them both signed with Al Heyman, then it'll happen, right? <laughs> but uh, actually, uh, Andre is with that Rock Nation Sports Company, so uh, I imagine that's kind of. Uh, crazy situation to be in where you're one of their only guys, too, and they're very up and coming. They got a lot of money, obviously. Jay-Z is not worth pennies, but uh, it's kind of a hard situation to uh, get fights lined up with uh, big promoters, I guess, because it doesn't seem like, you know, obviously nobody wants to fight him in the first place, but it just doesn't seem like it's it's that easy for him to even get on cards, you know, with them wanting to promote everything. Maybe Jay Z and Al Heyman don't get along. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, it's PBC. It'd be interesting if they if they get involved. All right. Well, it's about all we've got for this episode.
3: Well, before we go, um, I got to give you guys just uh, a brief bit of humor. You know, before we break for the holiday weekend, I came out and said today, um, my life should be cartoon <laughs> it should be um and i last week i sent you guys my 22 push-up video awesome. and that i hope you good. enjoyed it yeah thank yeah. you hope you enjoyed it um well the last day of filming the day at the liberty bell um i had brought a change of clothes with me you know for my work clothes because i knew i had to get about a mile and a half to get to the place and then i pretty much had to run there I didn't want to come back, like, sweating like a beast in a shirt and top. So I pretty much run, to the I change into the American flag shirt and jean shorts, run to the Liberty Bell, get the security, do the push-ups, pretty much run back. Now, I had brought a duffel bag with me with a change of clothes. Now, normally when I leave work every day, I have my lunch container with me. In that, um, you know, because I, I have nothing else in there, I put my
2: two
3: uh, 24 ounce, um, you know, mugs with the lids on them, one that I bring my shake in every day and one that I use to drink water every day. Also, in there, when I take my MP3 player out to listen to on the train, I was putting my camera in the MP3 player holder. So I put everything in there, put my two mugs in there. One of them I forgot to empty. I then put them in the duffel bag which I normally don't do. As I'm running to the train station, I feel water on my leg. This is not good. Well what happened was I didn't secure the lid on one of the things, it saturated and got my camera soaking wet. Now obviously you saw the yeah. You saw the video was salvaged. So and this all leads in you know, astronomical clusterfuck. So the video was salvaged, obviously. The camera was not. And I really like this camera. It had a 20x zoom on it, and it took clear pictures, especially during the day, and was great for events. Now I'm pissed off, but I'm trying to get it dried out, and hopefully it'll work. So I try until Friday night. It's not working. I got a concert on Saturday in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field, which is a pretty big football stadium. So Friday night, I go on the Target website, because that's where I bought it from. And I see the camera that looks exactly like it. Oh, I don't do my research because why? What what fun would that be? <laughs> I purchase it online, and only one Target in my area has it, and that's about twenty five minutes from me, in the opposite direction of where I got to go. So Saturday morning, I you know go up to this Target. I had paid for the camera. I see the they hand it to me, and I said, "This isn't the right camera." Because I look, and it was a 5X zoom. I don't want a 5X zoom. Even the guy said, well, a 5X zoom, that really
2: sucks.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I know. So I look at my camera. It's not even the same brand. shit. So I go back, and and I'm going to break out another story in a minute. So you're going to hear about something else in a few moments. Um, It'll be part of the story. Um, So I go back to where the camera department is, and I said, listen. I said, I can't use this. What else do you got? And the guy's like, well, if you're willing to spend more money, I said, show me what you got. Well, we got this one here. It was about like a hundred and some dollars more expensive. And he's like, you know, it, but it's got a 20 X zoom. I said, listen, buddy, I just got a major promotion at work. Give me the goddamn thing. I'm looking at my watch. It's about 10:30, 1030, about 10:35. I got to be getting home because I got to leave. So. I I go up to return the original camera I got, oh, but the um, receipt is not registered yet, so I can't return it. I'm like, yo, I'll be back. (laughs) So now I'm driving home and I'm speeding badly. You know, how I didn't get arrested, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I get home at 11 o'clock. Now it takes me about 15 to 20 minutes to get to the train station. I'm being dropped off at the train station. So I shave real quick. I get changed. I put my camo shirt on. I put my jeans on, put my cowboy boots on, get my cowboy hat. Cause I'm going to a country concert. <laughs> so now my dad's driving me to the train station and he's not driving as fast as I would like. And I'm looking at, cause remember it's 15 to 20 minutes to get there. The train leaves at 1136. We left at 1115. Of course, They got something going on in that town and the traffic is backed up. So he hits down a side road. We're going on the side road. It's closed because they got some vegetables, something or other. All these tents are up. I can see the train station. I can see the people on the platform. I'm like, you know what, Pop? I got three minutes. Let me out of the car. But I can get you there. Let me out of the car. Nobody's going to let you out on this road. Let me out. Hmm. Okay. I jump out of the truck, and I start sprinting through the parking lot. Hmm. In cowboy boots, nonetheless. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of fun. I get up there. I'm I'm sucking wind, you know, because I was on a dead sprint here, like a wind sprint. I get there at 11.36 on the dot. I look up, train, five-minute delayed. <laughs> so I said, you got to be shitting me. So we get down, to the, you know, I'm um, doing some tailgating, jump in the one bar, you know, had a shot from my one friend, met some other friends, we're having some drinks together, we start taking photos. No problem. Go back to the one bar, it's a country concert, and they have a little country bar in this big establishment. It right where the Joe Frazier statue is. So, I go back in the establishment, go into the little country bar in there because I got to ride the mechanical bowl and wave my cowboy hat around because that's what we do. Yeah. So, I do that. I'm having a good time. They're taking pictures of me. Now, we get into the concert, and I got my new camera, my 20X Zoom, and it's working great. And I take a video here, and I take another picture here. Battery exhausted because I never had a chance to charge the goddamn thing, and it only had a half charge. Huh. So, I ended up using my phone, which is the whole thing I didn't want to use anyway. Now, the one part of the story you might have glossed over while I was telling this whole thing on how my life is a cartoon is I just got a promotion last week. Awesome. Yeah, I, um, I am going to be uh, closer to home. I don't have to go to Center City every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to stay with my department. I'm going to keep my supervisor. I'm now a senior rep. And to, to keep one of our biggest clients, they want one member of my team to be on site there every day and instead of resolving their issues in two hours, they basically run them resolved in two minutes, and that's going to be me. So I, when they were yeah, when they were offering it, to me, like they had mentioned it on Wednesday, I expressed interest on Thursday, but you know, cautious interest. They made the offer on Friday, and I'm sitting there looking at them. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at you know the job logistics. A couple of my questions that you know helped push me over the edge were. One, you know, if I'm sick or, you know, if the weather's bad, can I still work at home? Yes, because you're still under the same boss. You're just not. Check one, check two, um, what are the hours going to schedule? We are dictating. 20 before, if you want, you know, nine to five, whatever, you tell us what you want. I'm going to be right next to my old fitness center. So I know the first day I go back, I say four words to him. The boss is back. <laughs> T-O-R-N-A-D-O. Nice. So the last thing that I needed the convincing on was the numbers, what the raise was going to be. I had a number in my mind that I said, if they offer me this, I will accept it. They offered me four times that amount. Whoa,
0: there
3: you go. Yeah. Um, and plus, look to the city. They had given all non-city residents an extra 2.5% to cover the wage tax. They're not taking that back either.
2: Nice.
3: Yeah. So I am quite pleased. Um, so I felt that I could buy this new camera. And I've already uh, put plans over my next tattoo. <laughs> there you go. Sweet. Yeah, well, getting was, a tornado going down the ribs.
0: Well, it was a damn good video, and uh, I kind of wish now that I had done mine all in one video. But uh, yeah.
3: well, you know what? And, and, and Rich, um you know, part of like I said to you, part of the way I came up with my idea was when you were doing your different videos, and like for the one day you were up in the mountains, the one day, you were up in the, and the one. <laughs> I said, you know what, because it gives variety to it. And I said, with mine, I said, I didn't want to put 22 videos on my Facebook page. (laughs) I didn't want to do that. I said, I wanted to do just one video. Because I like a lot of the videos I have on there from different concerts that I'm at. And, um, you know, the Vinnie tribute that I made and other things. And I didn't want this to flood my videos if people were just on my page just looking through them. So I said, that's why I'm going to do it as one. And that's why I put the different picture leading into each day. And a couple of my coworkers today were like, yeah, you know, that's all well and good and everything. But each day, like, you were introducing, like, what you were doing. It's like, we kind of had it after your first speech. Hmm. And I'm like, well, what you got to understand is that speech that um, that I did the intro, I actually filmed that on the last day.
2: Hmm.
3: Awesome. I filmed my intro and my exit speeches within five minutes of each other. I just changed my clothes to make it look like they were different.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so when I first started doing them like, I didn't really know what I was going to do Like the second day I did it in my atrium at work and then it was like then the third day I did it back at home in front of Vinny's little memorial and then I obviously did a day um, you know at the Philly Stadium and that's what caught my interest I'm like doing it at the Philly Stadium and I'm like I could be somewhere different every day that would be cool you know I could hit up the Rocky Steps and that's why I started looking like Oh, okay. How far is that from where I work? My old boxing gym's a mile away. That'll be cool, you know. Um, the Liberty Bell—that was my, you know, main event basically. Uh, City Hall. I'm like, I'm getting all these ideas, and I'm just googling them every day. <laughs> and I'm like, Well, that's, you know, what I thought made it. Well, and someone's like, what was your least favorite day? I said, doing them in the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> I, it was a great idea in theory. It will. It looked cool but the fact that the glasses I used were broken and they fell off, that looked shitty. <laughs> the fact that the truck was bouncing worse than two teenagers in a van.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, um,
3: and the fact that the ridges on the back of the truck were like killing my hands, Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but it's still, I thought, I thought everything looked, you know, cool. And I'm, I'm happy the way it, um, the way it worked
0: cool cool all right well good stuff all around and uh of course it's another big weekend for veterans july 4th obviously and uh gotta give a shout out to all the veterans out there and uh, i know i'm gonna be seeing some fireworks i'm way up on a hill here and they've got them all around me yeah right it's good times so i hope you guys enjoy the weekend And uh, we'll be back next week. We got, uh, we're going to have a lot of big, good line on a lot of UFC fighters and stuff now. So I got a new agent, uh, well, kind of an old agent. She's with a new agency that I'm working with. (laughs) We got James. So, uh, and we'll try to get some boxing guys on here too. Can't forget about those dudes. All All right.
3: Well, that sounds great, man. Well, gentlemen, have a great holiday weekend. Be happy, be safe. Always a pleasure, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. All right, bud. Adios. All
2: right. Hasta la vista, baby.